0: This week on the Tech On Tap podcast, we talk data centric zero trust architectures with Juan Mojica and Dan Tullidge. Well, 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 well. well, welcome to the Tech On Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah.
1: NetApp. I love this company. Zipalk. Zipalk.
0: I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs>
1: hello and
0: welcome to the tech on tap podcast my name is justin parisi i'm here in the studio uh in the studio is my basement still um we are still working from the basement uh on the phone with me today we have a couple of security people um juan mojica is with us so juan what do you do at netapp and how do i reach you
1: Hey, Justin, I'm in charge of security product management and technical marketing here at NetApp, uh, and you can reach me on the Twitters, uh, and I'm sure you're going to give my Twitter handle out as part of this post, so I'm going to leave that part out because I, I get picked on every time I say it. So.
0: Well, yeah, the good news is, is people can listen to this because they won't be driving usually, so they just write it down. I mean, there's <laughs> very few people probably listening while they're driving right now. Um, also on the phone with us today, Dan Tulledge, hi, what do you do? How do we reach you?
2: Hey, hey, I'm Dan Tulledge. I, I work for Juan. I'm part of the technical marketing engineer, part of his team, and I've been with NetApp about coming up on three years, and Zero Trust is one of my gigs.
0: Speaking of Zero Trust, that's what we'll be covering today, but what I like to do before we get into the nitty-gritty details of all this stuff, um, I like to give us a high-level set so we're going to talk about ways we can secure nas environments so dan if you could tell us a little bit more about how we can secure our nas environments
2: yes um so well just kind of taking a step back about what zero trust is i mean you know it's something that it's not new it's been around for over 10 years it was invented by um, a guy named john kinderbog at forrester research and it you know the old notion and it's it, the notion originally is sort of a net, network centric notion so we're we're taking it and making it more a data centric notion but when it was a net, network centric notion we were talking about like a really hard and crunchy outside like an M&M and a nice chewy inside right and so and with zero trust it's it's um you know verify and never trust it used to be trust but verify but now verify and never trust so so anyway we're we're talking about making a data centric, what's called a micro-core and perimeter, which is a forester terminology for um, something that you're protecting and we're protecting your data. And so the NAS data is what, is what we're focused on. And so um, using our software, we create what's called a segmentation gateway, which is a set of controls that goes around the micro-core and perimeter, the data centric and perimeter. And so that, that's kind of the, the concept we're talking about. That it's a little bit different than um, the network-oriented zero trust.
0: Okay, so we're dealing with more of the um, the back end side of the zero trust piece, not the network encryption that, that that type of stuff, right?
2: That's right. There's
1: portions of it that we do cover on the network side as well. I mean, we do have the the protocol encryption available at Nas. It's it's really zero trust is is what Dan said, just an architecture, right? And so you start off with the premise, okay what am I, you know, I'm trying to secure my NAS, you know, what architecture, you know, how am I going to solve this problem? All right. And then zero trust is that architecture that you would use or implement, um, to, to solve that problem. And certainly we have different capabilities across, uh, across the different layers of it. But, uh, like Dan said, it's really about starting from, from the inside out, um, focusing on the data and that's being what you're trying to protect. And then Okay, who has access to the data? What has access to the data? How do they get to that data once they have access? And then how is that all uh, orchestrated and automated? And you know, what am I doing to monitor? So starting from that perspective and then uh, drilling back out. You can think of it kind of like um, the current situation we're in with COVID, right? Everybody, Nobody knows who's infected or not infected, right? You could be a silent carrier of COVID for up to five days or At least that's the last bit that I remember reading, like you could be contagious, but not showing any symptoms. And similarly, uh, folks in your organization could be compromised, but not necessarily ringing off those alarm bells. And so what Zero Trust does is what we've done in society today and segmented each other, kind of quarantine ourselves in our own little homes, preventing access from anybody coming in. If somebody comes in, uh, you know, different families have different criteria. I know my, uh, my son had to go to the doctor, but before they let him in into the doctor, they took his, uh, his temperature and gave him a mask. And then everybody inside was wearing masks as well. So it was uh, kind of a very interesting situation. I think it scared him a little bit, uh, given that he's fairly young and all these people with masks don't necessarily inspire confidence, but that's what Zero Trust is from the technology side is probably as good as a, an analogy that you can get from the everyday life that we're currently
2: living,
0: the whole mask and COVID analogy is good because it describes how we are becoming accustomed to doing things in a new way. Um, traditionally, if we went to the doctor, we would just go into the doctor and you know sign up for our appointment or you know check in, and then we'd you know wait for our doctor to see us. There'd be no masks involved, no temperature taking. Uh, so it shows that we've had to increase security for this new environment for these new times. Um, similarly, you know, previously with NAS, you had permissions and ACLs and that sort of thing. So what's, what's zero trust doing that's beyond the permissioning and why was, why is permissioning just not enough anymore?
2: Yeah. Permissions. I mean, with, um, most NAS setups, um, usually some administrator will, will set them up and it's kind of set and forget. I mean, they aren't dynamic at all. Really. They're, they're very, as a matter of fact, they're entirely static. And so, the controls we're talking about putting around your data within a zero trust concept is is dynamic. So we're going going to use um, user and entity behavioral analytics to understand you know what is normal access to data, data and then when somebody steps outside of normal, what you know what's going on there, and and we need an alert on that, take some action on that.
1: Yeah, we we hear from our partners a lot that folks do not set their permissions correctly and that large swaths of their organization have access to all the data in their organization. Like uh, people basically have access to all the data, whether or not they need it. So you come up with a problem uh, that you're already not setting them right, like Dan said, and then you add it to compounding to the fact that maybe the person already has all the access that they need. And right, like, you know, I could touch... Every single file on my Windows uh, desktop computer at home, but I'm pretty sure if I start tweaking most of those files in the operating system folder, uh, it's not going to work so hot for for my son and my wife the next time they pick it up, right? Just because I have permissions doesn't mean I should be touching them.
0: So you know, along that same line, you know, you mentioned Windows; they have something called dynamic ACLs, right? So. What is Zero Trust doing to incorporate those, or is it something doing something different that Dynamic Acles has? And basically, Dynamic Acles here means being able to control the level of permissions based on the job or role or what you're doing in the environment.
1: So those, I think, fit in with the perspective uh, from um, the the ability to, like you said, more dynamically control the access. Uh, to the data based on other criteria. I know Windows for example allows you to do multi-factor authentication for uh, using DACLs, uh to actually have access to the data and I think that's another level of uh, Verification right on the user identity before they have access to some uh, Contents in that folder um, Dan, what do, you, what do you think?
2: Yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, yeah, and then of course um we have these APIs built into our storage systems, right? And so, uh, and you can not only have the dynamic ACLs, but we, like I was talking about the user and entity behavioral analytics, so we can actually know what the user normally accesses. And so like if a user, you know, you can have, um, you know, malicious users, you know, like Edward Snowden, Um, you can have compromised users, you know, somebody who clicked on the wrong link, and suddenly they're infected with, with malware. And we can have users that are, that are just making mistakes. You know, systems are complex, and, and all of a sudden, um, the user's off the rails just because, not intentionally, not maliciously, but um, just doing something that's, that's out of normal because of mistakes being made. So it's, it's important to apply the, you know, the principles of least privilege, which is a you know, security term that means give people access to only what they need to have access to and nothing more. Then verify that access.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there's this also uh, this concept uh, of attribute attribute-based access control, ABAC. So we have RBAC, role-based access, access controls. Uh, if you're a given role, you have these permissions to do these activities. And then there's this attribute-based, which is um, slightly well, extremely less deployed because extremely complex. Actually, get it right from the deployment perspective, but it tackles kind of the same problem as that based on what attributes are assigned to the user at that given time do you allow them access to the data you know are they coming in uh via vpn or are they actually in the building you know is the call coming from inside the house kind of deal or not Uh, and then you decide to 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 be scared or to let them have access or or not right
0: so as far as um things we can use to en- enable zero trust and ONTAP? I mean, you mentioned there isn't like, it's it's more of a architecture. There's no option that you can just turn on zero trust or turn it off. So what sort of tools do we have that help us interact with the ONTAP systems and to enable the zero trust architecture?
2: Well, yeah, there's, there's a variety of tools. Um, you know, there's like a number of steps you need to take to you know, achieve a zero trust environment and you know, a, d- a data-centric microcorum perimeter, right? So Got to um, learn where your data is. You can use um, the F policy API to learn where your data is. You can also use other third-party tools to classify that data. And so there's like, where is the data? What's what's the classification of the data? And then if you have data that you don't need, you should get rid of it. That's a liability. And and then um, you know then as Juan was saying, attribute-based um, access controls or role-based access controls. Um, or apply it around the data classifications so we can better understand, um, you know, who, again, applying the principle of, of least privilege. Um, and then um, using multi-factor authentication, as Juan mentioned also, I mean, for administrative access and for data access. So um, these, these are all controls that we can apply. And then there's encryption, right? So use encryption for data at rest encryption and data in flight encryption and, you know, control plane and management plane encryption, and then also data replication encryption as well. And then there's the, the monitoring, which you know, F policy we talked about um, can be used to do that. And then you know hooking into um, security information event management system SIMs so that we can correlate not only what's going on in our data environments, but like all of our environments within your organization.
1: And I'd say that um, for the zero trust piece of the trust, nothing, validate everything, the, what Dan's been talking about, our zero trust engine, this, what we call, or have called an ONTAP for quite some time, F policy is um, is the key, is effectively what it can do is uh, give you a log uh, to uh, an external server of all the file accesses, um, you know, folks are making into your system into the ONTAP system, and then you can correlate that based on um, however you wanna map out that data. And it basically is where we partner with third-party vendors to provide user and entity behavior analytics to really understand the behavior of users and whether or not that behavior is typical or atypical. Right. So if every day I'm coming into work, uh, first thing I do is go get a cup of coffee, come down, sit in my chair, uh, open up, uh, you know, the last file that I worked on the day before, uh, and that's my pattern because people are creatures of habit; they tend to follow a pretty specific pattern. And you would expect that every day, for the most part, is going to be roughly the same. It's that, uh, it's that time where, if my computer gets compromised, and I go get a coffee and I log into the, you know, log into the laptop, I go get coffee, and the laptop immediately starts a- accessing thousands and thousands of files is where you probably want to kick off a second verification, understand what the user's doing, call the user, call me while I'm getting my coffee. And it's that difference in behavior from your traditional access patterns that uh, isn't, you know, permissions don't solve. And so you need to, you know, organizations need to figure out how they account for that and how they, they deal with it, especially now that everybody's remote and so, By now, new access patterns have probably set in, right? The new behavioral for dealing with the kids in the morning, trying to not let them spend all their time in front of an iPad somehow, but I think that's almost impossible at this point. But uh, going from there uh, and then trying to make the best of it, I think most folks have gotten into some sort of group. Whether or not that's a good groove or not is, is another thing, but even now you could probably say, hey, markedly, You've gotten into some sort of groove, and if you start deviating from that, you you know you leave your laptop on overnight, and all of a sudden starts accessing all these other files, even though you're working from home. That's probably not normal either, and should be investigated. That's what uh, F policy allows you to do. This is zero trust engine, and our third party partners also bring to the table is that analysis of the behavior of of users.
0: You know, with people working from home more often. Um, Realizing that people don't have the same level of network security and architecture that you would have at a you know business or corporation, are you seeing more instances or reports of people having situations where they're getting hacked, and they would need a, a zero trust architecture, or is it something that's pretty much equal regardless?
1: I would believe that you would need this regardless, right? I, I think it, it might be heightened right now, but uh, I think for a lot of things in our society, there's going to be a no turning back point. Like this is just going to be the way some things are going forward. Um,
0: well, yeah. I so know. I guess, I guess an analogy would be, so, you know, the, the hybrid car, right? So mm-hmm. for a while we had the technology to do hybrid cars, to do electric cars. But it didn't really start to take off until gas prices went to like 4 or $5 a gallon. Then people started thinking, oh, <laughs> I need to take this seriously. You know, I need to have an investment in this. And I find with security, a lot of the times is, you know, people don't take security that as serious as they should until they have a breach or they have a situation like this where they need to think more and more about how they architect their security. So, I mean, you know, having thousands of employees work from home to me, feels like a pretty big security hole that companies have not considered before this.
2: Well, well, a lot of that um, plays into things, you know, outside of the data-centric microcorn perimeter. So we're talking about, you know, solidifying our endpoint security, right? And so, you know, at, at, at um, NetApp, we have plenty of controls on our endpoints, you know, that have been, you know, escalated over the years. But again, for accessing the data, um, the the data centric microcore and perimeter um, can be observed using the architectures we're talking about with with ontab but yeah so endpoint security has to I mean it's the data centric microcore and perimeter isn't the end all right you need to have a, like a zero trust architecture that spans from your endpoints you know and we're talking about protecting your data we need to protect our our applications our systems and and then then there's human behavior which is Always the weakest link, right? And so, um, just making sure that um, we have the right controls, and again, those are usually endpoint controls to stop humans from from making mistakes.
1: Yep. And, and from the business side, from the uh, specifically in dealing with ransomware, uh, one of the things that has been reported is that the average ask for ransom has increased from like thirty k to about uh, eighty four thousand dollars per. Incident. Um, the other thing that's being reported is that uh, cyber insurance firms don't necessarily know how to properly evaluate for the risk presented by ransomware, and so there's still a lot of learning happening in that industry. So sometimes not everybody gets paid, or you know, the 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 insurance doesn't necessarily come through uh, when needed, and so it's those type of events that I think are going to be more prevalent now with everybody having, having to be external, right? Not being able to come in that potentially exposes them just given that their new work environment. So I I do think that there's going to be uh, cases where you're going to look to see how, how am I controlling access to my data and what controls do I have around my data that could potentially save me?
2: Right. And and one of those key controls, you know, is, is the use of snapshots and, and, on tap so giving you an instant recovery point and we have f policy partners that that actually um identify at the point in time where a ransomware attack hit they identify the best snapshot to recover from and then they use apis to go into the snapshot and recover only the infected files not any of the files that were written good files that were written during the the ransomware attack because you can have data loss either way right so if you restore a complete snapshot, you'll have data loss for the the data that was the good data that was being written. So it, it's interesting. Our our partners have done some really ingenious things um, using the APIs into snapshots.
0: Yeah, and there's also the concept of having that silent ransomware that's been hanging out for months and just kind of like a ticking right. time bomb waiting to go. And then once your snapshots have all rolled off, it it hits. <laughs> So having, having something that's third party that kind of tracks that sort of thing to see things that have changed and let you know that, hey, by the way, there's this anomaly in your network. You may want to look into it.
2: Yeah, and it's it's, the, it's that stealthy ransomware that's the scariest stuff. Too. And yeah, in the beginning of the time, ransomware attacks would actually put a file extension that was identifiable that you could use. You know, F-Policy has a mode where you can actually put static definitions in, but now modern <laughs> ransomware encrypts the files and doesn't change the file extensions. And so that's another um, stealthiness that, that uh, the latest mutations of ransomware are, are taking on.
0: As far as implementing protections against ransomware and having a zero, uh, a data-centric zero-trust architecture, do we have any sort of documentation we can point people to to kind of help them implement this, or do we have services available?
2: Um, yes, I, I have a technical report coming out that is yet to be numbered. Um, but it'll be coming out soon, and, and um, when it comes out, you know, hopefully we can put a link on on this podcast um, to it so that people can refer to it. Um, and it goes over many of the things that or all of the things that, that we talked about today, and then some.
0: Any other sort of information that we have available out there for people? I know we have a securing uh, on tap tr right security hardening.
2: Yeah, that's right. Tr forty five sixty nine. Yeah, which is you know, hardening ONTAP um, from soup to nuts. I know we used soup to nuts in a previous podcast, but I'm saying it again. So. That's fine. I'll um, know it. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, there's that. And then um, actually I have a a blog out on uh, using, uh, in, achieving zero trust using a data-centric microcorn perimeter. So um, we can link that also into this uh, podcast.
0: Yeah, and I suspect by the time this
1: goes out, you'll have your TR already, right? Hopefully. And then there's also a Ansible hardening role that got published recently uh, as well to kind of help with the automation uh, of hardening.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Because, I mean, security is not super easy to to implement at all times. So having automation and and documentation out there to guide us is going to be essential to doing it the right way.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you rely on manual processes in and by themselves, I mean, you, you won't succeed because the attackers are already automated. And if you're not automated, you're not going to stay ahead of them.
0: Well, that, I mean, you also tend to forget things. Oh, I forgot to enable this option. I'll only go back and do that. Oh, too late.
1: Exactly. One of the things that got included in uh, the... Active IQ Unified Manager for ONTAP, uh, for 9.7 as uh, a security dashboard to give you a kind of visibility into what's happening in your environment as far as security is concerned. Well, specifically for that, like, oh, I didn't realize I didn't turn that thing on. At least now I have a single pane of glass that tells me how I'm doing in comparison to what the best practices are that are spelled out in that hardening um, technical report. And so that is really intended to give our customers at least a perspective of how they're doing compared to what we recommend to do. Not everybody's going to go implement everything right away. Security is a journey. You kind of got to know where you are. You got to know why you are where you are. Um, For example, I just realized that large portion of certain love songs that I like are specifically tied to the Karate Kid and so once I realized that, <laughs> I could basically backtrack to why I like Peter Sotero so much.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, when you love somebody. <laughs> oh boy, Peter Sotero too.
2: Or, oh.
1: Yeah, um, and the glory of love. So it, it took me a while to like why do I like this? And it just all all of a sudden clicked kind of deal. But so you have to have that level of understanding, um, of reorganization and kind of your processes. But uh, Having visibility and at least knowing where you are is is a start and then deciding where you want to apply your efforts uh, going forward because you can invest in many different locations to try to mitigate uh, the problem. It's just, you know, what's the biggest bang for your buck and how much is it going to cost you at the end of of the day?
0: Dan, are you a man that'll fight for his honor?
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm not familiar with this song. I kind of vaguely know the song. I'm You're not of, familiar with the works I'm of Peter Cetera? Well, I'm, I'm more of a Terry Kath guy when it comes to Chicago, you know. I, I mean, real switch I, I get it, but I think you have time <laughs>
0: during this lockdown to discover the okay. works
2: uh, of Peter Cetera. Of Peter Cetera. Okay, I, I'll work on that.
0: Do you think he's ever had an album called Et Cetera?
2: If he doesn't, you better get on the stick with that one.
0: Peter, if you're listening, I know you are. There you go. There's your album title for your next one. Thing,
1: one thing everybody knows about Peter Sotero one, he's a a singer from Chicago, two, he loves security podcasts.
0: He's a huge ONTAP (laughs) fan. I mean, that's just what I hear. People are saying.
2: And I think he's getting switched on to zero trust as well.
0: I mean, if you're Peter Cetera, you have no choice but to be switched on to zero trust. Right. (laughs) All right. Um, Anything else we want to talk about besides Peter Cetera and and what we've already covered?
1: Uh, So, like I said, I mean, one of the things once um, Dan's blog gets published out there is, and seeing what you can use, you know, starting the process to try to investigate uh, where you are and then what you can do to roll out. I think there's some, some easier stuff to turn on and some harder stuff to turn on um, and just deciding where you're going to pick your battles. I think the one thing that Dan has already said and I want to reiterate is that uh, snapshots uh, and having them on and having them uh, available for a longer time maybe not necessarily auto deleting them uh, right off the bat but uh, having a longer uh, window of snapshots to keep uh, keep around potentially could save your organization uh, in the event that they have to you know recover from some sort of attack
0: Dan
2: and snap lock, lock as well oh, yeah snap Sna- yes yeah, that was good. yeah snap lock i mean which are immutable um worm copies of, of your data which Ransomware can't touch, right? I mean, so if you got SnapLock data, um, it's well protected against ransomware.
1: So I'm going to give you a greater sense of things that you can do with our kind of capabilities in the product. So in the event that you don't trust the software on the system, we have a secure boot as part of our uh, engineered systems that basically. Detects if the image was signed correctly by NetApp or not and then won't let it boot if it wasn't the correct uh, properly signed image So if somebody had to modify it, we you know, we will detect that We have the ability to do layered encryption with our data at rest So in the event somebody tries to steal your data and, and compromises one layer The other layer will be protecting it as well as we can store both sets of keys both the both layers of keys externally on a third-party appliance, or we could do it natively on the box. We have the ability to do certificate authentication to verify or authenticate across devices on the system. We have the ability to do storage segmentation with our storage virtual machines, as well as network virtualization with a function that we call IP spaces. Effectively, you can use the same IP address multiple times in the system simply because they're on entirely different virtual network stacks. I mentioned a little bit about uh, attribute-based access control already. Snapshots I mentioned, uh, we have file whitelisting. So Dan mentioned the blacklisting where you could basically say don't allow the creation of these files. If you already know what your application is going to write to your system, it's a standard file. You could at least say don't let it write any other type of file on the system uh, other than that particular type of file. Uh, we mentioned SnapLock, which is our immutable storage capability. And we do have the ability, obviously, through our SnapMirror to do a full VR copy. So that's that's really kind of the the greatest hits, if you will, of the different capabilities. If you don't trust users or the applications or just the physical access to the systems, these are all things that you can put in place to, to make your environment more secure.
0: All right, Dan, Juan, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about zero trust security. And, you know, honestly just reminding us all that Peter Sotera exists. Um, Juan, uh, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that?
1: Uh, Hit me up on the Twitters. I do respond, and since I'm trapped in my house, I will respond. (laughs) Got nothing else to do.
2: Dan. Dan underscore Tullage.
0: All right, excellent. Thank you.
2: All right, that music tells
0: me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire TechOnTap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Juan Mojica and Dan Tellert for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: that's getting off on this oh
1: yeah
0: alright anything else guys
1: that is it I want to thank you Justin yep. Yep. Juan you're my
0: inspiration
1: <laughs> I am the man who will fight for your honor. There's not enough falsetto
0: in that one.
1: I the man. No, better,
0: I... better. A little more bony there.
1: Am... No, I can't do it. Sorry. Okay. It's I fine. tried.
2: I, I I'm not even going to take a crack at it. We
0: can We can have Dan like play the guitar for you.
1: Been <laughs> from a long time ago. Is that better?
0: That's much more better. Barry Gibbs. Much better. Yeah. More Barry Gibbs. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. You know, it's better than the uh, the other the Matt Behringer you had going on there. <laughs>